It is a great pleasure to introduce to the show Intimacy Coordinator and Movement Director, Ita O'Brien. So the Intimacy Coordinator is a practitioner who brings a professional process to the intimate content. It is a body dance. It's, it's so interesting that it's taken this long for your role to become of such strong significance. Alright, love. What'll it be? Hello and welcome back to Two Actors Walk Into A Bar, the podcast that doesn't have time for an intro today because we want to get cracking because we are joined by an incredibly special guest. Um, This is someone that we've wanted to have on the podcast, um, well, since we first started talking about putting the show together. And we are absolutely thrilled and buzzing that this person has taken time out of their busy schedule to come on and talk to us on the show. So yeah, let's let's just get cracking. Let's get right to it. Um, please let us welcome someone who, in our opinion, is one of the most important and influential people working in our industry today. It is a great pleasure to introduce to the show Intimacy Coordinator and Movement Director, the wonderful Ita O'Brien. Hello, Ita. Hello, David. Hello, Scarlett. It's lovely to be here and I'm in awe of your introduction. That's completely mad and I'm completely bowled over. <laughs> <laughs> I think, like David said, we always hoped, but thought it would be a shot in the dark. And as we said before, don't ask, don't get and stuff. But it's it's a real pleasure to have you on today. Yeah, it's my pleasure. It's lovely to be here. And this is a first for our show as you're joining us from another country because at the time of recording, you're currently in Prague. That's right. I've literally just landed. I've been in my hotel room for an hour. Yes. Oh, wow. Okay. Well, in that case, we're extra thankful for you taking the time to join us. I mean, must have, must have been an early start. <laughs> I got up at, um, I was collected at 4.30 this morning. So yeah. Oh, mad. wow. Yes. <laughs> Bless you. You'll be going to bed soon. <laughs> yes, definitely. Prague is beautiful. I'm, I'm very lucky to be here. So Ita, first guest of season three, we like to kick off by asking our guests the same question. It's a very important question. Might be the most important question in the whole show. I well, hope you're ready for it. What are you drinking? I'm drinking a cup of Earl Grey tea. Hang on, am I the only one drinking alcohol at this bar? I see if Scarlett's got a cup of tea as well. What is this? I've, I've got a cider sitting there, but I did, I did have, I did have a good old cup of tea. <laughs> but, 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 but when I, when I when I travel, I actually take my mug from home with me, and I take my Earl Grey tea bags with me. Um, oh. Yeah, it's one of my little um, home luxuries that um, that, that grounds mm. me and makes me feel like um, I can set up life wherever I am. So I like I'm right in assuming that the reason you're in Prague is because you've got a film shoot or some type of work out there or... I have. I've got the um, joy of working on a really beautiful production called Dangerous Liaisons. Um, so it's a a reimagining or um of these the um Camille and Valmont <clears throat> pardon me from when they first met um and yeah. it's really lovely to be here it's nice to be busy as well i'm sure I, is it nice to sort of feel like you're back in the swing of things and you've got your diary booked up i'm assuming <laughs> um to be honest i've i i've never stopped you know i've basically been working 12 hours a day every day um that's just when i'm um, when lockdown hit, the focus was back to teaching the work in drama schools, continuing to to support and train my intimacy coordinators in training. And then as the production opened back up again, then back on set. So I thankfully have, um, yeah, haven't, haven't stopped really. Uh, so for those that don't know who Ita is, she is an intimacy coordinator and movement director. You will certainly know her body of work as she's worked on a range of 
theatre, film and TV, including, but not limited to, Sex Education, I Hate Susie, Darren Brown's Ghost Train, Humans, Normal People, Watchmen, Gentleman Jack, and of course, I May Destroy You, that saw creator and star Michaela Cole recently win the BAFTA for Leading Actress, which she dedicated to Eta in her speech. Um, So, for our listeners... Would you be able to explain what it is an intimacy coordinator is, what role you have on a production? Because although it's, as we'll probably get into it in the episode, it's quite baffling to think that this isn't a role that's been around forever. It's still quite a new concept having an intimacy coordinator on a production, isn't it? That's right. Up until just literally two, three years ago, there was no practitioner and there was no... Um, professional structure or process put in place for working with intimacy. It was this elephant in the room that nobody spoke about and you got to it on the day and it's like, this is what I want. Um, Either go away and work it out for itself or just go for it. Um, So that's what was there before, which was terrible, wasn't it? Um, And in all all those situations, we have all the stories of all the actors going, it's really awkward. You know, everybody's standing around. You're just going to go for it. You don't know what your partner's okay with. You don't know what you're okay with. And in that place of both actors trying to do the best to give the director what they want, trying to do the best to take care of each other, it means that they're not really able to focus on making the really best scene possible. So that's how it was in the past. So the intimacy coordinator is a practitioner, just like a stunt coordinator, who brings a professional process to the intimate content and the understanding that it is a body dance, just like a choreographer is going to choreograph a tango or the stunt coordinator is going to choreograph a really brilliant um, sword fight. Um, The intimacy coordinator, we are movement practitioners and we're going to choreograph this body dance really clearly. We bring skills of, you know, anchoring body parts to body parts, rhythms right way through the intimate content. We make sure that we put in place agreement and consent And that goes across everything of where you're comfortable to be touched, what you're happy with, um, what your requirements are nudity-wise and what your requirements Mm -hmm. are regarding what you're happy to perform simulated sexual content-wise. And then the first tenant, the overarching tenant, is that we bring a process of open communication um, throughout the whole of the production. And that's from the get-go, from producers right from the beginning saying, consider the intimate content, earmark it, just like you would do if you see that there's a dance or a fight needed and then know that you need to put aside budget for that practitioner, put in time in place that, you know, those conversations, time for rehearsals, most important thing. Mm. Um, and then that goes through talking to the director, wardrobe department, um, actors, DOPs, first ADs, um, and, uh, or in theatre, you know, talking to the director, the stage manager, all that kind of stuff. It's interesting you say about, you know, stunt coordinators, because like, no one would ever think to just let actors, you know, go off and work it out on their own for like dangerous, death-defying stunts involving, I don't know, swords and fire and shit like that. But for intimate moments or scenes of a sexual nature, actors have, well, until recently, been kind of left to just get on with it. And like, um, I've, if it was me, for instance, I've not really had much experience in performing intimate scenes on stage or screen. So it would just, I'd have no clue, like, what you can and can't do, like, how it all works. It would just be awkward as hell. And I just can't really get my head around that, well, this kind of thing hasn't, you know, the whole process of intimacy coordinating, that hasn't come around sooner. It is funny. It's funny when you think, I mean, some people say, well, even people that aren't within the industry, oh, well, it's not real, is it? 
isn't it? Mm-hmm. There's an element of it that's got to be real. Do you know what I mean? They're real people at the end of the day. God, that's a whole different conversation. <laughs> but like, do you know <laughs> what I mean? It's it's just if everyone isn't nervous within the sort of rehearsal setup anyway, chucking that an actor's way, just get on with it and see how you get on. I mean, what if somebody's never had that experience? What if it's a gay man playing a straight man and he's never been with a woman? It's it's so interesting, but scary that it's taken this long for your role to become of such strong significance. Yeah, that's right. So, so the things that you're saying about, like it is real. The real bit is this person, you know, who is then, who is a skilled and brilliant and beautiful actor, this actor is having to, you know, if a degree of nudity is required for the scene, they are actually having to take their clothes off and stand in a certain degree of semi-nudity um, in front of, you know, whoever's going to be present in that close set of um, of, of the crew. And, um, and yes, and performing that simulated sexual content, you know, you still have to actually perform that, serve the storytelling, and then touch, you know, where am I going to be touched? Where is it okay to be touched? The script might say he sucks a nipple, possibly. You know, how, you know, is that okay for mm. you? Is that not okay for you? If it's not okay for you, great, let us know that. Um, and again, that's a big shift in the industry is, is um, you know, before the role of the intimacy coordinator, and I'm sure you guys will both recognise this, the, the aspect of the actor saying no was considered a taboo. Mm. You know, if an actor said no ever, they would be at the least considered a bit of a pain in the ass. Is that am I allowed to say that? Yeah, swear all you like. <laughs> David drops the C bomb. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, I did. I did until my mum told me off for saying it on the podcast. Very good. <laughs> I completely agree. For me, that's the worst. So I'm with your mum on that one. Oh no! Um, oh no! I'm sorry. I've let you, my mum down, and I've let you down. I'm so sorry. <laughs> Mums everywhere oh, are against the worst. Yes, yeah, <laughs> definitely is the worst. Um, so, um, yes, if someone says no, they're considered a troublemaker to being a diva and they would absolutely be concerned that they, they, they wouldn't get it. They, they would lose it, either lose their job or they wouldn't get employed again. Mm. And, um, and, and the amount of stories that that's been the case. You know, I had a beautiful actress. Um, she had done nudity before. This particular role that she was doing, there was no nudity in it. And she got her contract through and the director had in their contract, um, you know, you will be required to be fully naked. And she goes, but my role doesn't need to be fully naked. There's no scenes that I need to be um, naked at all. And he goes, yes, I just want that option in case I want it. And she said, well, I refuse to sign it, sign that bit. And he goes, well, you've lost the job then. Isn't that terrible? So, it, yes, but but um, so that's what so what we so the intimacy guidelines have, have turned that on its head. We're going, we invite your no. Tell us your requirements. Tell us your boundaries so that we know that we can all work openly and creatively with everywhere that is in your agreement and consent. And of course, that's what used to happen is that, you know, I really firmly believe that half the time when we are as an audience, either on stage or on TV or film, watching intimate scenes where we were squirming and feeling, oh, it feels so awkward and weird, is actually because we were feeling the actors feeling awkward and weird. Um, Mm. And of course, when you've got the, through the process of the guidelines, when you've got the actor being allowed to be personally listened to and therefore to be personally respected and feel safe in all aspects, you know, regarding the quantity and, you know, and the quality of the nudity um, and the support of that, because of course, um, it's an inference of nudity, even particularly with a full-on simulated sex scene. If they look like they're completely naked, they're never completely naked. 
it is, of course, not suitable in the work- workplace to be exchanging fluids. Mm. So, of course, there's going to be genitalia coverings, either for, for um, those with penises or those with vaginas. Yeah, so we're looking at all of that, putting that in place. Yes, and as I say, um, you know, then checking out touch and checking out what hap- someone's happy to, to perform. Um, and so, therefore, just like a stunt where you're going to do a risk assessment, you're going to go, OK, we want this person to be jumping off the roof and landing and rolling and then running off. You're going to be checking out. They might break their ankle, you know, or that they, they might not know how to roll properly. So they're going to do a risk assessment. They're going to teach techniques. They're going to put in place their crash mats. They're going to choreograph it really clearly so that everybody is not just safe, but able to bring all of their skills to that to that beautiful moment and staying in character, and that's what we're able to do with the intimate content. And a lot of time people say to me, oh, it's so great that it's about safety of the actor. Well, I say, well, it is about safety, but actually for me what's interesting, and for me is, is about as an actor, it just means that we can bring all of our skills as an actor to the intimate content, the same as you would do with any other scene. We want to be able to stay serving the storytelling. So, Scarlett, as you were saying, you know, if you've got a gay man having to perform a heterosexual intimate scene and they've never had sex with a woman before, you know, how do you journey through to that so it makes it look real, you know, sort of serving these characters? And that's where, you know, people say, oh, you're experts in sex. And I'm going, actually, no, that's the last thing. It's just like, you know, as an actor, you know, you 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 um you, you know you had Daniel Day-Lewis living as a, a year with a cobbler in order to know how to be a shoemaker. Mm. He did his research in order to be able to serve that um, character's physicality of his lifelong learnt skill of being a cobbler. It's the same with the intimate content. That, that that's, that's the aspect that you absolutely, if it's outside of your realm of experience, you research it, just as I did with um, Gentleman Jack, reading all of Anne Lister's, well, I didn't read all of them because there's five million words, but reading, you know, <laughs> Anne Lister's diaries, um, researching um, queer, female, lovemaking, talking to people from that community. That's the research that I did, just as I would do as an actor with any other aspect. So you bring that detail then into the choreography. But, but with working openly and clearly with the intimate content in that way, you can see that it just means that it opens it out and everybody can just breathe a sigh of relief, talk openly in an adult fashion, professionally, bringing all of their creativity and all of their artistry to creating a really good scene. Have you had any experience earlier on in your career where you were put in the position of go on, get on with it? I wasn't interesting. So, so my journey in my career is I actually started, my mum sent me to ballet at the age of three I went to this most marvellous lady called Miss Handel in Hayes and um because she wanted me to do Irish dancing and in the 60s there wasn't any because river dance hadn't happened then Mm. um so so I went to ballet and then the school that I happened to go to had the most amazing teacher called Madeline Sharp at the time she was the Royal Academy of Dancing's top children's teacher anyway so I started in ballet ended up um, working as a musical theatre dancer for 10 years and then I retrained to Bristol Old Vic and worked as an actor for eight years, um, and now I've completely lost my train of thought. What, what was it you asked? Oh, oh my experience. Yes, yes, yes. My experience. Um, so as a dancer, I was sent up for, you know, there was a really beautiful Chanel advert where they wanted you know, like a lovely black and white pan, and then they sort of used to see rocks, and then you saw sort of a body that you didn't realise was a body, sort of a woman from behind, and I auditioned for that, and then I ended up going, do you know what, I, I couldn't do this. So I said, thank you very much, but no thank you. Mm. So I've been aware in me that there's, you know, that boundary of what I'm comfortable with, yeah, you know, and there in that I could see the 
the, the artistry and the beauty of, of their intention of the shop was absolutely gorgeous but I knew that I it would have made me too vulnerable to have done that mm. that's quite inspiring though and especially for anybody listening in some cases it's well I need the money or I need the experience and if I say no then what chance have I got in the future like this is what I want to do for a living sort of attitude then that being able to say no and that being encouraged by somebody like you is is it's great to hear just because that like I say there's people that will feel forced into a corner in some instances and not not know how to say no ultimately another drink for your love this podcast is sponsored by weaudition.com weaudition.com is a revolutionary website with loads of fantastic and useful resources for all you wonderful actors out there on we audition you can find a rehearsal or self-tape partner instantly audition and take general meetings on video chat, get career advice from a wide range of industry professionals, and you can even earn money for rehearsing with other actors. So for all the listeners of Two Actors Walk Into a Bar, we've got a cheeky little voucher for you. Everybody loves a voucher, don't they? It's 25% off a pro membership. Two Actors 25. T-W-O-A-C-T-O-R-S 25. Shazam! So hopefully the tides are changing now, but I can imagine there may be some actors who, after spending years studying and honing their craft and spending so much money to get to the to, to where they are, that they may feel or even be pressured into doing something they're not comfortable with because, or because that's just how the industry is or how it has been and that's how things are or how people in power have made things work. I could do with the work and it's from a well-known casting agency. So I'll just do it because I should sort of thing. So, oh goodness, there's so much in there. Um, First of all, you know, my awareness is, and for myself as well, you know, most actors, by the time they get out and into the profession, they've either, as you say, years at university or years at drama school and invariably they've probably done youth theatre and done their GCSE drama um, yeah GCS dramas into A-level possibly and then through to full-on training so you're looking at at least your 10,000 hours and god knows how many thousands of pounds in developing your skill and your craft as an actor and you know it is a thing if it was a beautiful Stradivarius violin you could see it out there something other than you that is this thing of beauty that you know you're going to make sure there's this instrument that you're going to take care of now because as actors our instrument is ourselves and our skill is inherent in you know in who we are but it is a thing to, to be taken care of and you wouldn't um you know t- take that Stradivarius violin and hand it to a conductor that was going to say, do you know what, what I'm going to do? I'm going to, um, I'm going to make you sort of like, you know, put your Stradivarius violin on the floor and jump up and down on it. You go, well, actually, do you know what? You're not the kind of conductor I want to work with. So thank you very much and goodbye. Mm. Now, if someone's not going to work well with intimate content, it's going to say like, you know, you know, over, be someone that's going to ask you to overround, override your own boundaries that perhaps doesn't have a process to rehearse it properly and is going to work in ways that's going to ask you to make you vulnerable and overstep your own boundaries um, that that will leave you damaged in some way. You know, and that that's what happened. The difference and the shift in the industry with the Weinstein allegations and those women finally being listened to and heard and the industry going, we can no longer turn a blind eye to this predatory behaviour. We all know it's been going on. We have to do better. And then in that intention was then the creation of the codes of conduct. And that's both for theatre, TV and film. I actually attended 
the amazing um, Vicky Featherstone's day, No Grey Area Day at the Royal Court, which she, you know, got together so quickly, um, inviting people to share their experiences. So in in, in the theatre, was you know, the whole like two days of people's testimonies being listened to of the damage that had been done, and this is it, you know, the the damage that happens to someone, um, both to themselves and to their craft when intimate content has not been done well, can be physical, but it's actually fundamentally emotional and psychological. And those scars, you know, either can, can damage you for life. You know, absolutely, I've had people who, um, at my workshops, who turned up as a director, and then in that opening circle, when I ask, you know, you know, what their intention is, what they want to get out of the work, you know, that they've said, the reason that I'm a director is because the last time, as an actor, that I acted, the intimate content was handled so badly that I just couldn't handle it anymore. I had to say, I'm going to walk away from being an actor because it was too too damaging. Unfortunately, things come down to money. Before, you know, it's very clear if you're going to do a dance, you know, a tango, that you're going to make sure that someone's, you know, going to be taught how to do it properly so they're not going to damage, you know, themselves and turn over on their ankle. You're going to make sure someone's put a, a sword in their hand that they're not going to, you know, they're going to know how to use it properly and not damage someone. Those injuries are physical, but with the emotional, with the intimate content, when someone's nudity or their touch has happened to them or they've been forced into doing something that, that's absolutely outside of what's okay for them, that injury can be physical, but it's emotional and psychological and those that injury ripples. But the thing is that the industry wasn't listening and that wasn't mitigating, uh, mitigated against. But now that there's that awareness then the producers need to know that they need to put in place that best practice so that they won't end up having a lawsuit. So that's a big shift in the industry, which is fantastic. Um, So then we come to auditions. Yes. So how does intimate content work for auditions? Because we did an episode a few months ago where we asked actors to send in their worst self-tape request stories, thinking it would be a fun episode about weird and cringy scenarios. But like some of the things these actors have been asked to do were just like incredibly shocking and downright inappropriate and I wonder is what's the process for auditions and self-tapes? What we're doing with the intimate content or with the intimacy guidelines putting in place a structure where we can all work professionally that of course there is a difference of power and a difference of vulnerabilities you know the producer holds the purse strings it's the director's vision that you're serving you might have you know that the lead of your production that's the executive producer as well as the, the star so they have quite a bit of power um, and then they might be doing an intimate scene with the day player you know so that day player is incredibly vulnerable you know inherently to, to that lead um, actor but what we're doing with the intimacy guidelines is making sure that everybody is listened to and heard. Everybody has an opportunity to 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 um, give their requirements regarding their boundaries. That that's invited, as we say, um, you know, your no your, your, is is a, is a gift, um, so that we can trust your yes. Um, and so that by the time we come to working, be it in the theatre rehearsal or on set, that everything's known and everybody's on a level playing field. In auditions. That's not the case. We can't get away from the fact that a production, be it a theatre production or a TV or film, has something that the actor wants. And in that place, and as you're saying, Scarlett, you know, in an actor's desire to get the job, as we all know, Mm. and from my years of working as an actor, you know, historically, inherently, 95% of actors are out of work at any one time. That desire to get the role, that desire to get your breakout role that's going to, you know, make your name is, you know, it's ever prevalent. Um, And so in that case, in that situation, you might overstep your own boundaries in order to please, in order to say yes, in order to be seen to be willing and get the role. 
So what I'm saying to, to actors is, you know, respect your craft, you know, the beauty of your craft and, and listen out to, to what your body is asking of you. And um, so, David, as you're saying, you know, these, you know, so the self-tapes. So very often, isn't it, be it theatre or film, the very first stage that's happening now is 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 a self-tape, is the first thing that happens. And I say to everybody, do not put anything on a self-tape that you would not be happy to be seen out there in the world mm. because you cannot control what happens to that self-tape. So so um, if you've read the intimacy um, guidelines and then I've also sort of helped to... So, so, so I authored the intimacy onset guidelines, but I've also consulted for Directors UK, for Times Up, um, which were, um in the UK, for Times Up in the US. Um, helping, you know, sort of, um, I've got a whole load of practitioners in Australia, New Zealand. So, all, so I've been consulting and helping to each of those different um bodies to create their guidelines. In so the the basic guidelines in an audition is. So in an in-person audition, no, you know, not to be asked ever to do any intimate content or any degree of nudity in a first audition. If it is required for it to be requested in a re recall, for you to be given 48 hours notice, yes, to be given the scripts, to be given the opportunity to bring a support person with you, um, and then to create a contract so that if that audition is going to be filmed, which very often they are, um, you know, which might record any degree of intimate content or any degree of of um, nudity, that you sign it off, that once that role is cast, that tape is destroyed. Absolutely. Yeah, so it means that it's never going to get out into the world. And if it does, you've got a form of redress. Also, I want to just go toward to, to degrees of nudity. It is There is never any need ever for someone to be asked to be seen completely naked in an audition. If someone does want to see your physical form, the least you should be wearing is either a bikini or swimming trunks. Yes, because, you know, that's what needs to be seen. There's no need ever. And if anything's asked of you more than that, it's a no. And you might question that production and again, walk away. Mm. Um, so, so, so that's what we're putting in place, you know, for, for auditions, auditions. But self-tapes, like I say, you can't control it. And so I say to everybody, you do not put on a self-tape anything that you can feel in your gut is compromising yourself. Anything that is asking you to overstep your own boundaries. Yeah. And if it's asked of you and you don't feel it's right, you just say no. Just say no. And then walk, you know, walk away. And again, it's that thing. And I was my dear partner. Right from the get-go, he used to say to me, your career is sculpted, is shaped more by what you say no to than what you say yes to. Before now, and again, part of the narrative before the um, you know watershed of the Me Too and the Time's Up um, movement, so along with you can't say no, was also you're an actor, you know what the job entails, you should be able to do any degree of nudity and any degree of sexual content. Yeah? Do you agree? Christ, no. It's just, oh, it's like this thing of, oh, yeah. you know, you're actors, you can just... Pretend you say you're a good actor. You can just, you know, go off and oh, yeah, God, like I no. said, yeah. And it, and for people outside of the industry as well, it's like, well, it's not real. So you should be able to do it because you're an actor. You can you can go somewhere else. You can be someone else. So it's not really but, you. Yes, but that's not taking into account that everybody has a different journey in their lives. Mm. Everybody has a different relationship with their body and therefore, you know, their nudity um, and what they're comfortable with. And everybody has a different relationship to what body parts are okay for them to be touched and which aren't. Mm. 
And just because someone has someone's not comfortable to per se be completely naked does not mean that they're not a good actor. Just because someone has a particular body part that they're not comfortable to be touched or handled um, does not mean that they're not a good actor. Um, so, so that's what needs to be separated out and that's what the int- intimacy guidelines allows you to journey through mm. in that journey to going, okay, this is what the director wants from this scene. This is what the content is now. What are your concerns? What are your requirements? What's okay for you? Most importantly, what's not okay for you? And then we can work openly, creatively with everywhere that is in your agreement and consent to still create a really brilliant moment of intimacy um, what you're using camera angles or using if you're in theatre using sort of you know perhaps you want an inference of nudity or, or nakedness perhaps you can have a screen up with a light behind and they're wearing you know flesh coloured leotards and leggings you know mm. so they're so you know we're creative people you know we have a that the magic of theatre or the magic of, of, of the camera um, and it really is I promise you whenever there's been a no for any reason then we can work creatively still creating the same content still creating the same storytelling with body parts or touch that is in that the actor's agreement and consent so that's a shift in the industry mm. to, to start to trust you know for, for an actor to trust being able to be open and, and stating their requirements stating their boundaries um, actually allows them to stay more open and more creative and create a better scene and for the, and to trust that their boundaries can be accommodated and then you know creative ways can be put in place in order to to, to still tell the storytelling you know sort of in other creative ways you know the, the content that I've been able to help support that content couldn't have been created if the actors hadn't stayed empowered listened mm-hmm. to creative autonomous free and then also free to really serve every single beat of the writing every single beat of the director's vision yeah, every single beat of that character storytelling in that moment another realm for your love so before we started recording, Scarlett and I were chatting about some of the shows that you'd worked on. We mentioned before about Sex Education, It's a Sin, Humans. And Scarlett, you were talking specifically about the press surrounding the show Normal People that came out last year on the BBC. A lot of their interviews have been based on, God, there was a lot of sex scenes. How was that? <laughs> I mean, just to recall, um, I did actually watch one, I think, with James Corden. And he asked about it and and they recalled a moment where they were sprayed with fake sweat stuff and they sort of farted (laughs) in the motion and couldn't stop laughing. And because they were so, you have facilitated presumably them being so comfortable with each other that, do you know what I mean? They were able to laugh and and it wasn't like groundbreakingly awkward and yeah and it really was that I mean like that was in the first week I think that even was the first day and that was the afternoons by the time we got I know it was completely mad and by the late they literally were laughing their heads off all afternoon and um and that and that moment you know did happen where it was said it was supposed to be full-on you know sweaty in the midst of um you know you know erotic um, and passionate joy and um and yeah so they as they moved across each other and we did hear this fart noise and all of us were sort of like you know just just you know being respectful and quiet and then they just as soon as it was cut they erupted in laughter and realizing that nobody had actually broken wind it was just body parts and yeah oh my god that's brilliant (laughs) i guess as well like when that that fart noise happened like there's no hiding it everyone would have heard it and your instant reaction is to laugh but then in trying not to laugh (laughs) it just makes it harder to avoid laughing stay professional stay professional (laughs) but like as you said it it was their first day and shooting a sex scene on day one I mean there's going to be some awkwardness so maybe that 
that fart noise must have helped in a way, like broken the tension. Yeah, and that's what you want. Uh, it's also great that you're able to make people feel comfortable mm, yeah, to be absolutely. able to laugh in the moment like that, I guess. I think it's so important as well, what you were saying about authoring the um, intimacy guidelines people will be able to refer to them. So when they are perhaps brought for, forward for a job or something and things don't sit quite right with their own comfortableness with it or how it's been posed to them, they can use that as, mm, yeah. do you know what I mean, documentation to say, well, this doesn't really match up with the intimacy guidelines. Will you be incorporating any of that or is it going to be a just get on with it because I'm not comfortable with that and that's not right anymore. This is it, you see, and that's where, again, you know, um, uh, you know, because for me, the, the work developed from teaching it in drama school. So I was, de- I was working on a device mm-hmm. piece of work, um, looking at the, fl- the dynamic of the perpetrator and the victim. And I was just looking at how I, you know, what, what kind of processes um, I would hold in my rehearsal room to make sure that I held a really good and robust rehearsal space. Meredith Dufton, who's head of movement at Mountview, said, please come and teach what you're developing. And then I also co-worked with a lady called Vanessa Ewan, who's the senior lecturer in movement at Central School of Speech and Drama. And she had already had the inspiration of um, watching a fight rehearsal and going, that's the kind of space and time and structure that we need to bring into intimacy. So I co-worked with Vanessa I'm working with Meredith. So I started teaching the work in April 2015. And um, yeah, and over the years, you know, sort of obviously, you know, getting things wrong, you know, sort of, you know, refining, developing it. And, you know, until gradually they, it's actually the students saying to what, saying to me, great, this is lovely in drama school, what's in the profession? And that's why I started speaking mm-hmm. to British Equity and speaking to the group of agents, the Personal Managers Association. So, yeah, so that's what the students would say to me, how can I have this conversation with the director? And I'm saying it's because it's actually it's flipping it. It's not um, coming with a problem. It's offering a solution. And this absolutely comes from Vanessa, Vanessa, you and the idea of you're offering the director a solution, not a problem. Mm. So, again, as you're saying, Scarlett, you know, and this is what I say to, to, to actors, especially if you get offered the role and you have seen that intimate content um, and the director hasn't brought the conversation, then have that conversation. Ask, you know, either your director right yourself or through your agent ask to have that conversation about great here's Romeo and Juliet lovely how do you want the intimate content you know what do you imagine how do you want that consummation scene at the top of um, act three do you want to see you know what do you want to see what degree of nudity all that kind of stuff mm. just have the conversation and not just what the content is but how it's going to be rehearsed oh absolutely and if you can hear that that director hasn't got a process um, to in order to consider the work, make time and space to rehearse it properly, yeah, put in place agreement and consent, and then clear choreography. Then offer the guidelines, and that's why I say to say to um, my actors or to any on my workshops, if you're going to an audition, print them out and take them with you. Don't just say, "Oh, look, go to the Intimacy Onset website, print mm. them and have them with you." Yes, yeah. And here go here. Here's a process by which I can give you the best intimate content. Allowing my allowing your vision to be served, allowing mm. every beat of what you want in this intimate content to be honoured, and allows me to bring the best of myself as an actor to this intimate scene. Yeah. So all of it actually allows everybody to be working professionally, openly to the top of their game, creating the best work. So um yeah, so it's a flip, isn't it? Yeah. It's a it's a shifting. It's like not presenting it. Oh, I don't, don't know about that nudity. Oh, I'm not too sure. Mm. It's like, no, how can we work to the best of our game? How can we all work openly, creatively together 
to make the best work. And by you making that exist, you are sort of gifting actors with an ounce of power because they are able to say, well, this exists and this is what is considered okay now. That's right. Do you know what I mean? Rather than them just trying to pull something out of the air, well, well, this isn't why I'm not comfortable with it. And then their opinion being cast aside because it's not just their opinion. There's a lot of people out there that stand for the same things. That, that's right. And that's what's been so lovely in this year of mad lockdown for the work that we created through 2019 into 2020 was as that work was coming out, as you say. So obviously that was the second season of um, Sex Education and then It's a Sin, um, Normal People, um, all the things you mentioned, I Hate yeah. Susie, Brave New World, blah, blah, blah. Um, as that work was going out and, and then it hitting the zeitgeist, you know, audiences responding to it, um, it's, it's, it's really brought trust to what the, the role of the intimacy coordinator can do and what the process can, can bring. You know, actually creating a better, you know, if, if you want just bog standard, you know, um, money terms, it creates a better product. You know, it actually elevates what we can create. And, uh, and it means that everybody can be open and, and have a better time doing it. Mm. And, and so, Scarlett, absolutely, it's empowering actors, but also it's empowering directors. I was working on set um, last weekend on a production with... Oh, I can't... I don't think I can tell you what it is. But, um, <laughs> but, um, but you know, it's an Amazon production with the most amazing lead. Um, but if we come back up when it's out, I'll have to say this, this production's now out. <laughs> The, the, the lead actress is just astounding, you know, the degree of her quality, her interrogation, the, the detail that she can bring with her fellow actor. Um, it was just so exciting to be able to work with that kind of detail with those kind of actors. But the director said to me, thank you, he said, because he he was nervous. Mm. And so often, you know, so often before the intimacy guidelines, um, questionable and bad practice was was happening not for any other reason other than the directors had no skill and they were nervous about dealing with the intimate content. You know, a director knows it. Of course, they're not they're not supposed to know how to do a waltz or a tango. So of course, they're going to bring in a choreographer. Mm. Why should they be expected to know how to do that? And so of course, they're going to bring in the right practitioner. Equally, of course, they're not supposed to know how to work with um you know with with stunts. So of course, they're going to bring in a practitioner. But there was no understanding of one that is a, the intimate content needs a risk assessment, and two that it needs that, that safeguarding. You know, which is agreement and consent, and and three, that actually is a body dance. And of course they shouldn't, you know, why should a director have the body skills of anatomy and, and, and rhythm and choreography and, um, you know, the beats of that, you know, and how to have that language um, to talk to, to the actors, to choreograph that, that, that um, you know, the scene really clearly. You know, so, so in, in that void, everybody was just trying to do the best they could while everybody feeling awkward about it, mm. whereas now no more. It's actually just opening it out to go to to recognizing, you know, to to recognizing that it for the body dance that it is. It's like you say, you know, you get a choreographer for a dance, you get a stunt coordinator to do stunts, and it just it just seems so obvious that you'd have someone like an intimacy coordinator to you know help choreograph intimate scenes. But yet this has only really come about recently in light of the Me Too and Times Up movements. So how did you end up? getting to where you are now because I mean I would say especially of everything that you've created and done that you are one of the most important people currently working in our industry <laughs> so stop flattering me <laughs> I know I'll, I'll not be able to get out of the door <laughs> <laughs> but no no I'd, I'd say it's true and like this whole concept of intimacy coordinating 
it didn't exist a few years ago. You are it, what you've done. It, it's brilliant. You are absolutely fantastic. You are. You are like pioneering. It is. You 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 have pioneered it. And I guess what we're interested to know is, well, how did you get to where you are today? How did you go from starting out putting together the guidelines for intimacy coordination to now, well, working on films and TV shows that are so big you're not even allowed to talk about them <laughs> at all or on our show. Um, I mean, it has been completely mad for me. And, you know, when I look back, I just about, I feel very guided. Talk about being guided by the universe. If you're into mm. that, that's, you know, what it feels like, you know. So as, as I said, you know, I, I was um, interested in, in, the, in the dynamic of um, the perpetration of the victim and creating this device piece of work, um, which hasn't in the end ever been put on yet. One day it'll actually happen. Um, so and it was in that in that intention, like I say, that I was just looking at. Well, then how do I make sure I keep my actors safe and put in place a good rehearsal process? I did two years of research and development. So I did one year at um, Central School of Speech and Drama in 2014. So I actually started in in order to prepare for that and to start looking at different aspects. So there's a couple of things like I because I wanted to look at you know, that sense of boundaries and being able to say no. So I actually developed a workshop called the Power of No Workshop and wanted my actors to make sure that they were really connected with themselves first so they could be really centred, present and grounded both in themselves, in the space and with each other so that it was real consciousness. So then when we stepped into either playing the perpetrator or the victim, that people were really clear. Um, so, so this the Power of No workshop was great and I keep on meaning to start running it again where we were just through sounding, connecting in, uh, in with the different energy centres and then practising saying no, you know, and, and exploring that from each of the different energy centres. And that in itself was just mind-blowing and so exciting, mm. like a primal no from your from your base chakra um, as opposed to, a, oh, the, the emotional, the horror the emotional no that was like the wailing women sort of in grief was incredible a heart no which is sort of a loving no or an intellectual no each has their different qualities so so that was part of what I was doing to develop it anyway so I did one sort of round of research and development in August 2014 and then I applied to the Barbican pit and did a second round in August of 2015 but like I say in the meantime Meredith had said please come and teach what you're developing and then as I say it was the students who said to me um you know great but what about in the profession and then when I started speaking to Bishop Equity um that was the beginning of then codifying or bringing into a process what I was um sort of developing and um the very first time I actually um shared it in the industry was at the group of agents who meet monthly the PMA personal managers association and that was in June of 2017 and then actually the last bit of the jigsaw as far as really creating the intimacy guidelines was um you know, spoke, spoken to British Equity, they sent me their legal contracts, which are great and robust and, you know, serve their purpose, but they don't just speak to the actor. And I googled again and found some really, really good guidelines that were just there to speak to the actor. And they were New Zealand Equities guidelines oh. that were developed by, yes, a lady called Jennifer Ward-Leland, who is, was then and is still the president of New Zealand Equity. And New Zealand has suddenly had all these big productions going there. And so all of their actors have been asked to do a lot more intimate content. And she'd called a green room event and then um, to discuss the, the concerns. And then from that, she wrote um, her guidelines. And that was they published them in October 2015. And I found them. And then I contacted Jennifer, as you do, you just go 
sod this, I'm just going to email this person. And um, so we spoke and then I said, your guidelines are great. This is what I'm developing. Are you, can I have your uh, consent to use the, the basic structure of your guidelines and I to, to make, to expand into the intimacy onset guidelines. So while hers just spoke to the actor, I opened it out to go from producer, director, agents, cast directors. Um, you know, I was speaking, like I say, to, to equity, but then Weinstein happened and in that environment, then suddenly with the codes of conduct and the industry going, we have to do better. Like I say, I'd already been there. I'd already developed the intimacy guidelines. And then the industry was ready to to go, well, OK, within the idea of working with respect and working within the codes of conduct, how do we now do the intimate content well? And I was there to say, here, here's a process by which we can work, um, you know, with best practice with you know with openness with creativity with the intimate content and then from there the first job the first production that called me in as an intimacy coordinator was sex education and in that conversation with the amazing producer john jennings and the fantastic director ben taylor you know i was saying you know we were they were saying we've called you in because we've heard about your work we know we need to take care of our young actors. We've got this production, this amazing script with full-on you know, ha- handling intimate content on the nail, um, and we know we need to 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 to, to do you know put, to put in place a best practice. And I was I was going great. So I've now been developing this work for the last three years, three four years. I've been teaching the work in workshops and in you know in drama schools and in the profession. I haven't actually implemented it into the run of a whole production before and so we very consciously you know said great well let's work it out together so in in that first production you know working out that rehearsal process how to do the rehearsal process at the best time that's not going to impact too much on the um on the production you know because of course if you've got in the run of a filming day you've got all your crew hanging around that's expensive time you know for each minute what's that hundred thousand pounds a minute how do we you know how do we put in place rehearsals so we got into very much there coming in and you know if the filming starts at eight we'd rehearse from like seven till quarter to eight so again it's cheap time the actors were comfortable in tracks with bottoms do crew showing actors go off and get ready I was developing like how I how I how and when I checked in with the actors and of course and checking with the actors is one thing liaising with the wardrobe um, and of course, wardrobe department have been historically the experts in having the ear of the actors, especially if they, you know, before the role of the intimacy coordinator was there, the actors come in going, oh, I've got the sex scene today, help, how do I do this? What clothes have you got for me? You know, so, so you know, and all the modesty garments, then checking in with the first AD, of course, um, what's going to help again an actor to not feel vulnerable is um, with an intimate scene is to have a really respectfully and robustly held closed set, which means that after everybody, all your riggers and your gaffers are setting everything up, that then once you film, absolutely everybody steps away other than the essential people. Mm-hmm. So if there's a single camera being used, you've got your director, script supervisor, first AD, then DOP, focus puller and boom operator, and then me. Mm-hmm. Yes, yeah, so that's seven people. Um, of course, if you've got two cameras and stuff happening, then you can have more. But again, it makes such a difference to how comfortable the actor feels, to making sure there's not a gratuitous gaze. Basically, every single person should have a function. And if they don't, then they're off that set. You know, I was on set the other day and then someone was on their phone. I'm going, then what's that person doing here? I'm going saying to the first AD, please, can you ask that person respectfully to leave? Because they don't need to be here. And making sure the monitors, all the monitors that are out there, making sure they're all turned off. 
because again you don't want you know that gratuitous gaze on someone's nudity or simulated sexual content another drink for your love i guess we're trying to make any sort of change in this industry regardless of how positive it is there are going to be those people that are so set in their ways that like uh, they're going they're just going to be like well things have been this way for years i'm not going to change now why should i change it's worked fine for well in their eyes it's worked fine for them but obviously that's not the case and we do need this positive change so what I'm wondering is, have you ever had any negativity or pushback to the work you've tried to do at all? Have I ever? She's got to have a swig of Earl Grey before she answers this. All right, strap yourselves in, people. <laughs> Shot of Earl Grey is needed to get us through this. So, yeah, for example, one of the productions, September 2018, um, wanting to put in place rehearsals for this intimate scene. And I absolutely had that. So I started talking to the producers so, so most of that, a lot of that production had actually been working around nudity and finding body doubles for cast. Um, so, it, so it came to the, you know, to doing the, heteros- the heterosexual sex scene. So all the different things that you put in place. So first of all, asking time for rehearsal, when that rehearsal should be. Um, saying to the production about gender parity within the crew. Because, you know, it has just since 2018, the shift is huge about, you know, so many more um, women in the industry in all roles, you know, but but in 2018, so inherently male. And of course, if you've got a heterosexual sex scene or a queer female sex scene, you know, so if a heterosexual sex scene and you haven't considered it, as was in this situation, you've got one lone woman with a man she's acting with and nothing but a male gaze. So I started talking about, okay, you've got um, the third AD is a woman. Is she suitably experienced to be able to possibly um, run the floor as a first AD, possibly? Um, You've got a boom operator in the second unit who's a woman. Could she perhaps come in? And, um, uh, yeah, and then making time for rehearsal. And then so finally, you know, I got called in at the end of the rehearsal or end of a filming day with male producers, male director, male first AD, there's a wall of men above me, sort of, I'm told, so, what's all this you want? You know, and as, you know, rehearsals, you'll never make time for rehearsals. You know, we haven't got time to rehearse. And then they said, and, and as for gender parity in the crew, now you're just being disruptive to the to the production um, adversely and we'll have none of that. Jesus, what was, what was that like for you? Hard to take, yes. Mm. But, like, you were hired to be involved, but then if... When you were meant to get down to it and, you know, actually do your job, it seems as if they didn't even want you there. Uh, Especially what was interesting, 2019, where so many productions were coming and asking for us to work and so many productions listening to the process and putting it in place and then creating really good work. And interestingly, the ones that really did listen to the work and put it all in place are the ones that have been highly acclaimed, like It's a Sin, Normal People, I May Destroy You. But particularly particularly towards the end of 2019 to the beginning of 2020, as the role was becoming known, then the, the big producers were saying, you've got to have an intimacy coordinator, but actually the people on the floor weren't wanting it. The director wasn't wanting it, or it wasn't understood, it wasn't known. And so there was a whole swathe of productions that I'd go in and I'd be there being told, look, the director or the actors don't want your choreography. And I wasn't even allowed on set. I wasn't even allowed to set foot on set. I was held with by the producers just looking on monitor. And um, yeah, and I was told, check in with the actors, help us create the nudity waivers and then stand back and do nothing. Um, so so yeah, it has been it has been really tough. And I promise you, there's been many, many a time that I would come away and I'd go home and I'd go, I can't keep doing this. It's mm. too hard. 
you know, that I was I was at the front end of what an actor would have dealt with. You know, I've absolutely had, you know, oral intimate scene where the actress has said to me, help, I've never done a scene like this before. I'm going, it's fine. It will be clearly choreographed, you know, so that there'll be a rhythm between, you know, her there, camera on her face, him obviously under skirts, but we'll have a clear choreography. Don't you worry. And then that's where the director wouldn't even speak to me. And they had the and it had to be the actor that called for the close set, going, We're now gonna rehearse this. Please can we have a close set to rehearse? And then and then came to the choreography of the intimate of that intimate moment. So I stepped in to choreograph. I'd already spoken to the actors about what the shape would be, and within literally like ten seconds, the director coming up and going, You're directing them. For God's sake, just let her act it. But when the process hasn't been understood when the director hasn't given it time and space to understand that it's not about getting in their way, it's not about taking over, it is absolutely we're another practitioner who is there completely to serve and facilitate the director's vision. It's interesting that you've highlighted the fact that there's a flip side to it because we've only just said about you empowering actors and directors, which I think people would not realise straight away perhaps because... I suppose in some ways, like you pointed out that directors are sometimes just as nervous, that's perhaps where the just let them get on with it comes from because they don't want to tell people to do things they're not comfortable with. So they hope that those actors won't overstep their boundary, their own boundaries anyway. But when you've got people forcing the hand and, and then trying to remove you from the situation, it, it's, it, it, just, it just seems so wrong. But then I am from an age group where it's quite progressive and, and looking for change and there's still a lot of people out there that don't want that and and coming up against that actually makes your job a lot more trickier than people give you credit for because they they think it's all oh this is great it's all moving forwards yeah. there are still people that it gets their backs up sort of thing no I, absolutely and and you know really old school people who who go well i've been doing like this for years and it's absolutely fine and and, and i don't you know why should i open out to this mm. i i would like to say that one of those productions that was really really one of my most challenging into the second season that a particular director is now actually working very beautifully and very openly and creatively with my intimacy coordinator who's on that production now. So so even on that production, yeah, yeah, that was one of my most challenging experiences that that production's been really positive. That's, mm, that, that, that's really good to hear. Last orders at the bar. Last orders at the bar. Well, as, as the old two actors walk into a bar saying goes, that that was an episode. Uh, but genuinely, what an episode it was. Ita, thank you so much for coming on. This has been wonderful and so insightful. Um, where can our listeners find you and find out more information about your intimacy guidance and the work that you do? So go to the Intimacy Onset webpage. The Intimacy Onset guidelines are there. We're also in the process of translating them to various different languages. There are some already. Um, there's more people coming back to me with various translations like in Russian and in French we're waiting for which is very exciting because of course we wanted to be accessible across the globe um, and if you need to get in contact with me or if you're interested in training or interested in so my intimacy coordinators in training they have to do a certain amount of days under mentorship be it in teaching or in theatre or in TV or film so if you're a production that wants support but perhaps don't have the budget 
do come to me because that's also valuable for me to place my intimacy coordinators on productions and helping them to get experience. Just it's it's, it's so lovely to be able to just work openly and uh, to, to yeah to help everybody to make better work. Well, Ita, thank you so much for coming on the show. Um, as we said at the beginning, you were one of our dream guests, so we are absolutely honoured that you agreed to come on and talk to us today. Uh, and this has been such an important and insightful episode. So. Thank you. Thank you so much Thank for being you. such an amazing guest. Thank you so much for coming on, Ita. It's been great talking to you. It's been, yeah, it's been a yeah absolute joy talking to you. And thank you for your tenacity and what you're doing. Look at your creativity, you know, especially in lockdown. You're going, wow, what can we do? And creating this. So congratulations <laughs> to you for everything that you're doing as well. What are you still doing here? Sling your hook. See you later, Davey boy. See you later, Scarlotta. We'd like to give a massive thanks to Rotaries for our soundtrack and to Megan Sickers for our artwork. And an even bigger thanks to all of you choosing to listen to us waffle on. Find us on all social media platforms and make sure to subscribe to us because we're actors. We need validation.